Did you miss your deadline to renew your Medicaid coverage? You can still send your completed annual review form to Healthy Connections Medicaid. You may be assigned to another health plan, but you can ask to come back to First Choice within 60 days of renewed Medicaid eligibility. It's your family. It's your choice. First Choice is the right choice. Renew and choose us. Visit selecthealthofsc.com renew to learn more. For the best TV viewing experience, witness the coziest maroons, the most vibrant and brightest moons, the eeriest and darkest tombs, and radiant and vivid hues in any type of room with the Neo QLED and OLED TVs by Samsung. We're supposed to say Samsung, but that didn't rhyme, so <laughs> you're welcome. Samsung, more wow than ever. Welcome to High Stakes, episode 35. I'm your host, Neil Orfield. You can find me on Twitter at PlayerQDFS. High Stakes is produced by Mike Lawrence. You can find him on Twitter at AwesomeYo. And guest today is DFS legend Terry McBride. You can find him on Twitter at DigitalB21. You probably won't find much there. He doesn't tweet all that often. You can also find him on uh, FanDuel and DraftKings. The username is TMCB74. He has won several contests. You're probably familiar with Terry, with the screen name at the very least. Uh, he has big wins in all four major sports and NASCAR, including a, what, $200,000 win in NFL showdown. Uh, just, just huge wins across the board for Terry over many years. He is a baseball savant. Terry, are you excited for uh, the, the MLB season is back? Oh, I mean, that's been making my uh, making my day every day for the last two weeks or so since we've gotten into it. Uh, back to uh, creating some content out there in the world, which is good. So people can find that if they hit my Twitter handle. If you're looking for my old articles and stuff, hit up my Twitter handle. There is that every day. Oh, you are I'm doing that now. That's true. So <clears throat> excuse me. So, uh, yeah, I am putting some stuff out into the world. But, yeah, in general, if uh, you're looking for somebody good to follow who's going to be uh, funny at midnight and uh, out there tweeting every single day and talking about games and stuff, probably not going to be me. I'm not very good at that stuff. But, yeah, I've been out here a long, long time uh, in the DFS industry, in fantasy sports in general. I was actually, uh, you know, just I've listened to a bunch of high stakes episodes and I know what you typically get into. So I was kind of preparing my brain. I've got the goldfish memory, so I have to remember these things for myself. So I was looking through some old stuff. But I've been doing you know fantasy sports in general since back in uh, 2000, 2001. I think my Yahoo profile starts in 2001. Uh, and then I, my uh, FanDuel join date was in 2014. So I've been uh, a FanDuel member for quite some time. That's where most people would be familiar with me from. I do not play very much on DraftKings. I obviously talk about DraftKings all the time for a living, and we go through it all the time. But I don't actually play most of my action there. It's just on FanDuel. No real reason for that other than just stupid personal preference and uh, probably some laziness. Yeah, I think personal preference is a valid reason to want to play on FanDuel versus DraftKings. Um, yeah, well, well, I mean, we're going to get into the background, but we've got to start with uh, simple stuff. Favorite sports team and or I mean, you got your Yankees hat on. Maybe you're answering the question uh, visually <laughs> here, but tell me about uh, your, your favorite sports teams and or athletes uh, start there. And also, where, where are you from and where are you living now? 
So I'm living in Jersey City. I um, was born in New York, lived for like a year or so when I or maybe it was like two or three years. My sister was born in Georgia. Let's put it that way. And she's three years younger than me. Then we moved back up here to uh, central Jersey where I grew up and uh, have basically lived ever since. I'm in North Jersey now. Manhattan is like a mile as the crow flies just right across the Hudson River that way from my apartment. So nice, nice uh, part of Jersey to live in. But uh, yeah, this is uh, this is basically the area I grew up in. I'm a New York sports fan, uh, diehard Yankees fan, Um, you know, grew up in the 1980s. Um, I was born in 79. So if you know your Yankees history, there was kind of a thin era of uh, titles until we got to that 96 team. So at the very worst, I can't be accused of being a front runner or anything like that, like a lot of uh, you know modern uh, Yankees fans, Red Sox fans uh, and the like. So I'm big Yankees fan. They're probably if I had, you know, if you had to say, hey, only one sport can exist, which team? It's probably going to be baseball. It's probably going to be the Yanks for me. But I'm also a big Knicks fan, huge Rangers fan, uh, and a big Giants fan. Um, football is probably these days my least favorite of the major four sports. Um, but definitely looking forward to my Knicks and uh, Rangers in the playoffs. Hopefully deep runs for, well, hopefully a deep run for the Rangers and a good showing for my Knickerbockers. I'm a realistic Knicks fan. So, so no love for football, even though I believe it was just this past fall where you won like 200,000 in NFL showdown. Was it, was it not? <laughs> It was. Yeah. Uh, early this season, I had a uh, nice chop of a uh, one of the Sunday Millie maker. Uh, you know, it was a million dollar um, chop five ways. So, yeah, it came out. It was like one hundred and ninety or something like that. Uh, my biggest individual win uh, of all time, which was very, very nice. I've had a lot of, uh, you know, solid five figure wins, uh, but that was the uh, the biggest individual one. So put me over the top for my biggest year of all time and uh, off and running with uh, things that I'm doing now. So it's a nice feeling. Definitely. Yeah, that was that was very exciting. And coming off of a, a very big MLB season, as I recall, yeah. too, you're crushing it during the MLB season. So, yeah, very, very strong year uh, you've had this past year. Uh, let, let's jump yeah. in. And, and then talk. that feeds into, you know, that feeds into NBA play and you can you can play things the right way. You've got a little bit to work with. So I had a nice NBA year, at the, especially at the beginning of the season. I took a couple tournaments and was consistently placing, uh, you know, nice lineups and then uh, trailed off as we got uh, past, uh, you know, like January into spring basketball lineup changes and everything. I only have yeah. so much tolerance for that. So I completely jumped shipped on basketball on opening day of baseball season. I haven't played a slate since. <laughs> yeah. I think that's about the time where, it, where it's probably smart to jump ship. I mean, there, there's still plenty of edge to be had with late swap and stuff, but it's just so much tougher. Like that. Yeah. it's probably even a week, week or two earlier than that it just gets so tough with nba dfs where you just got to be tied to your computer at all times yeah uh, so probably, probably like the wise move like extra chaotic too it was this year uh, did this feel year, extra chaotic. Yeah, this year was bananas but might jump back in for some playoff slates at least the bigger ones we'll we'll see how it goes yeah those tend to be a little bit easier because you don't have to deal with the like are they trying to win now are they going to play their right. starters what's going right. on here yeah you we kind of know, kinda know nice tight rotation we kind of know who's going to be out there boring you know something stupid so yeah yeah makes it fun all right. Well, uh, I guess you, you've watched some episodes, you know, some of the standard questions that I like to ask as far as background goes. And we'll just start there. What kind of background do you have in statistics? If any, do you have any formal or informal training? Uh, everything that I have um, is basically informal. I'm uh, pretty much self-taught on a lot of this stuff. I would probably stand there and nod politely in a uh, conversation where I was, uh, you know, with Alex and some of the other, uh, you know, big heads in the industry, as far as the statistics end of it goes. Um, I've got a 
working knowledge of, of a lot of that stuff. I have things and tools in, uh, you know, Microsoft Excel that help me through all of that stuff that I've built out on my own, just, you know, via elbow grease, listening to a lot of smart people, Googling a lot of stuff. Um, so yeah, very much self-taught, um, literally have, as far as I can remember, never taken a statistic class, statistics class. Um, so yeah, a lot of this comes through that. I was a poker player going way back. Like I said, I've had uh, a long time background in uh, fantasy sports and something that I've talked about, uh, you know, possibly with you on shows definitely with other people on uh, on stochastic shows is it's something that i always felt where where some of these things like poker um you know i always felt that when i first started reading poker strategy books it filled in the background of the why i was doing things that i was already doing more than it right. was telling me oh, this is something eye-opening that this is how you actually play poker, right? Things like pot odds just kind of came naturally to me. So a lot of these things just kind of make sense to me um, where, you know, when I take the courses, read the books, et cetera, et cetera, it just fills in the why for me and I can explain it to someone better. Um, but yeah, just for whatever reason, and I'm not claiming to be smarter than the average bear by any means, but uh, for whatever reason, these kinds of things just, you know, connect with my brain well. So uh, that was, that's what I got by on largely. I suspect that you are smarter than the average bear, but uh, I'm not going to make you take an IQ test or anything. But yeah, I mean, it, it, your instincts were good. It sounds like your instincts were good for like how to play the games. And then you read the books and it kind of solidifies some of the, the concepts that you already kind of have in the back of your mind that, you know, you don't know what to call it. You don't know exactly why, but you know that you should be like playing contrarian players, for example. Mm -hmm. like that's something that some people are just like, well, you just want to have the biggest score. So you just play whoever is the best plays instead of like, okay, well, right. this guy's slightly worse, but he's going to be 5% owned as opposed to 20% owned that kind of thing you just have kind of instincts for and then of course you read up on it i guess that's a dfs example not a poker example you're talking about poker books but uh yeah i mean but the same concept applied you know that's yeah. basically what i'm saying like you know once i started playing dfs i found that you know a lot of the there's a lot of carryover right we see tons of, of poker players you know half the people i think you've uh, that i've heard you talk to have mentioned yep. their poker background and uh, you know I've, i of course had to jump on that train but you know i think there's a lot of crossover between the two um both in a pool of interest and just in uh, you know the the way that it connects with a certain skill set and a certain uh, kind of thinking so yeah it, it just really worked well for me as the next natural step i live in jersey like i said at the top so uh, theoretically i've been allowed to play online poker again for, you know basically since i've been playing dfs since like 2014 15 but it just i don't know it fell off the table for me so i was still running i was still playing a live home game just for fun basically every week um but yeah poker fell off and dfs kind of just replaced it in my life and uh, it was a nice easy transition because of how it connected with my brain with concepts like exactly what you're saying you know playing playing contrarian plays um you know um, stacking um in baseball right. kind of came to me fairly early on um getting into you know using tools like optimizers and things like that that's another thing i was going back through some of my old emails uh when i first got started looking for all right, when did I first really start looking for, for tools rather than just building these lineups by hand? And it was fairly early on. Like I said, I started playing in May of 2014. And by mid-2015, I, uh, I was deep into using some tools in Excel that I had uh, connected with somebody online and, uh, and done that. And like a week after I started, I purchased that tool. I was emailing with the guy telling him how to improve his tool and how to change it and uh, you know, all that. So it's been a fun ride. But uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's the foundation for where I got started. So no real formal training uh, in terms of statistics that well, was a long answer to that question no it was a good answer it was a very very strong answer i would say but along those lines i mean you're talking about early on in 2015 trying to create tools uh what kind of training formal or informal do you have in computer programming none in terms of um computer languages i've i've 
you know, dabbled um, very, very little with it um, just for, through personal interest through stuff like this. I always used Excel in terms of it being a business tool, but I think it, it actually might've been your last episode or, or one of the ones that I was listened to recently. Somebody basically said, you know, I always thought of Excel skills as like, you can conditionally format something and you can, you know, use it to create a, a chart and, uh, you know, impress somebody's boss or something like that who has no idea how to use anything. That's kind of what I thought of, of Excel skills. And then just, you know, diving into this and really getting into the nitty gritty of what Excel can actually do and, and using it as a tool for DFS and for creating creating simulations and, and so on and so forth. It just got so, so much deeper with it. Um, I would never call myself an expert because I still frequently have to Google, you know, functions and, and things like that. So again, it's a, just another spot where hacking and slashing my way through a lot of time, a lot of hours and elbow grease. Um, you know, Josh Engelman had a big, big part in helping me learn Excel just by what he used to put on screen in his shows, uh, you know, right at the very uh, outset of uh, Stochastic, formerly Awesomeo at the time. Um, so just watching a lot of what he was doing to the point where I would literally freeze frame and copy a formula um, to the point where my baseball dashboard still steals the look and feel of the dashboard that he used because he's so good at laying stuff out. Um, so I learned a lot from him and then just talking to him, talking to other smart people in our channels, again, just Googling stuff around the industry uh, and just saying, all right, I want to do this. How can I accomplish that? So through that, I've learned a lot about Excel. Um, I've learned a lot about some, some different programming uh, methods and, and languages. I'm still at the point where I haven't totally dove in on uh, Python and learned it and, and uh, gotten it. But we've got several guys in uh, the Stochastic Discord who th those guys have written an optimizer. If people don't like the public optimizers out there, jump in the Stochastic Discord. They've offered it up for free for NBA. Um, so use it next NBA season. But I want to get in there and really start to learn that stuff, rip that apart, uh, build my own and, and go from there. So I haven't gotten an opportunity to, but that's on the agenda at some point. So I'll be I'll be learning Python or R or one of those. And uh, you know, there's so many tools to help with that now too, since the AI tools can basically write the code yeah. for you yeah it's i've never even thought about using ai for that kind of thing but at this yeah. point that's probably the easiest way to do it uh yeah, yeah so, you so can no... literally tell chat gp you know write gpt write me write me python code to accomplish you know x y and z and it will it will code it for you to the that's point crazy. where nefarious actors are trying to get it to write code to implant itself on cell phones around the world and you know people are people are actively trying to propagate a armageddon at this point <laughs> <laughs> yeah, might not, not, be a good not idea. particularly shocking, but yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> all right. So, so no formal training. You're self-taught in terms of like Excel. Going to get into Python, uh, not yet, but uh, yeah. So, so no, no real formal training. You're, but you've self-taught yourself plenty about both uh, statistics and at least uh, Excel. It sounds like uh, we we talked a little bit about your professional background already. Uh, so, so poker uh, starting there. I know you you said that it sounded like you played poker pretty seriously. Were you ever a pro? poker player like where was your primary source of income there was a year in there where i half and half paid the rent through uh unemployment and through you know poker winnings um it was basically a year where i was uh, you know kind of taking off in my mid-20s and kind of looking for a new job uh, after having left my first career job um so career-wise i was i had basically two sales gigs for uh like eight ten years each uh, the first one was in South Jersey. I was living in North Jersey, making a stupid reverse commute to go down there and sell electronic security systems and fiber optic transmission systems. So like cameras and shit and DVRs mm -hmm. at, uh, at local stadiums and uh, things like that all around the world. Good experience. I got to travel like crazy in that job. I went to China twice. I went to Dubai. I went uh, you know, all around the world and then all around this country for various conventions and everything, but ultimately not the best gig. 
actually turned out that uh, like a year and change after I left, the owner of that company put some kind of phony IPO out on the Chinese uh, market and made wow. a few hundred million dollars and probably probably could have cashed in nicely on that. But uh, we move on. Ooh. So yeah, that one year in there uh, did definitely pay some bills via poker winnings. That was my biggest probably poker year. That was the heart of online poker, you know, when everything was really, really huge in online poker and there would be $25,000 prize pools every single day and you know, so on and so forth. Um, and then took a sales job uh, for a electronic, uh, for excuse me, for a um, computer integration company. So doing big IT projects for, uh, you know, very large companies, airports and so on and so forth all around the world. Um, similar kind of thing. Traveled around, did a lot of selling, didn't like it at all uh, at, uh, yeah. at the very least. I suppose. Yeah, you got to you got to take your lumps. <laughs> yeah. uh, so then you, you say you, you got into DFS around 2014. Was your, was your start date on FanDuel? Is that right? Yeah, I can actually, uh, I can tell you the date. I pulled some interesting stuff. Um, so the date was uh, May 20th, 2014. It was baseball season, my friend. Naturally. Yeah, naturally. naturally, that makes sense. Your first <laughs> love. Is that true? Is baseball, baseball, uh, DFS, and or just fantasy sports in general, is baseball your first love? Yeah, very much so. Um, fantasy baseball was the uh, first thing I dove into. Me and my friends for the last uh 20 some odd years have run um, quite literally what I would put up against anyone as the most complicated fantasy baseball league in the entire country. As far as season long baseball goes, we have a multi-page rules document. Emacs talked about it on, uh, on shows. Um, is Emacs in the league? He, he is. Yeah. We okay. roped them into the league. Uh, I think, two years ago, maybe last year, I forget, but we needed somebody. And uh, I figured he'd be somebody good and dedicated He's the right guy for sure. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, you gotta, gotta love this stuff uh, to be able to play in that league. But uh, yeah, we've got like five different types of, uh, of keepers, uh, four different types of long-term contracts that you can sign out to five years. You can trade draft picks out to five years so I can trade you like a 2028 first round pick for something. Okay. Now um, we've got a minor league system. We've got a rule five draft. Uh, it, it's just completely bananas, this league. Um, so yeah, greatest league of all time, but I play tons of redraft leagues. I was saying it to, uh, I think Emac on a show the other day, I'm in 30 Yahoo public redraft leagues this season, most of which wow. are just like $20, you know, okay. it's just a $20 buy-in. Um, you know, I don't go for the crazy leagues across those 30 leagues. I didn't draft a single starting pitcher because I just go zero starter um, okay. and try and win them that way. So we'll see how that goes. But uh, yeah, I, I love, love, love fantasy baseball. And then, uh, you know, basketball and hockey for season long, were always just kind of eh. Um, I would play them. I would dabble. But that's where I was like, ooh, DFS, that that really makes some sense for, uh, you know, for those sports. So was happy to jump into that. And then season long football, obviously, like everyone else in the country, I've uh, I've done for years as well. When you're playing uh, fantasy, season long fantasy baseball, are you playing like, is it, uh, roto leagues is it uh like head-to-head -head leagues what, what kind of leagues are you playing roto leagues uh exclusively okay. actually i'm in one head-to-head -head league that i would love to leave especially since they moved it from yahoo to fan tracks this year because the yahoo took away their message board so now it's on fan tracks so now i have to go to a completely different site to stay in that league but it's it's a totally free league there's no money involved uh, and it's a yearly ongoing keeper league that i just randomly stumbled my way into in like 2014 and the only reason I'm still in it is because I have such a good goddamn team and I'm yet to win this thing. So I can't quit it. Um, so hopefully this is the year I can win and leave that league forever because I don't actually like head to head format at all. <laughs> I don't like it yeah, for, for baseball either. It's, it's, I think it's a perfect format for football, for, you know, some other, maybe NBA, but yeah, for baseball, give me Roto all day. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Roto for sure. And if you're going to play head to head to me, just set the scoring to the one win format. Right. So somebody you get, you, if you beat sure. me, you're one and oh, and I'm oh and one. 
okay. right? Rather than the way that they do it, where it's like, you know, you won five categories, so you get a five and I won four categories. So I get a four. Yeah. That's just dumb. I That's agree. not the right way to do it. You know, if you're going to make it head to head, make it true head to head. And, and so, uh, so going back to your strategy of not drafting starting yes. pitchers. So the idea is you're punting on wins, you're punting on strikeouts, and you're just trying to absolutely crush everybody in ERA, whip, and saves. Yes, uh, essentially, you were looking to dominate the two pitching, um, the the pitching category for you're looking to dominate the uh, ratio categories, the ERA and, uh, and whip. Word ratio escaped my brain for a second there. You want to, you basically need to either twelve or eleven those two categories. You're looking to twelve or eleven every single one of the five offensive categories because the way you approach the draft is you go your first basically ten picks are all bats. And okay. no one else is doing that. So you're loading up your starting offense with the best possible bats. And you're looking for um, five tool players, right? You're looking for guys who are going to fill power and speed hit for average. So a lot of the times I'll skip over a guy, let's say like a, a Kyle Schwarber, who's going to hit, you know, 220, um, but hit maybe 40 home runs, but not steal bases, um, not fill those other categories in favor of someone who was going to hit 280, 300, hit 25 home runs, steal 15, 20 bases uh, and score a bunch of runs. So you have to make those choices along the way and you have to be drafting the right kinds of players to make it work, but it works very, very well when you execute it. Right. And then you're just looking as soon as that, you know, as soon as you fill that starting offense, you immediately click over completely forego any concerns about average draft pick position and just start drafting the uh, most dominant uh, strikeout potential relievers available, whether they're middle relievers or closers, because the middle relievers, Believers are good because they can book you the occasional save and they'll also book you the occasional win. Did you miss your deadline to renew your Medicaid coverage? You can still send your completed annual review form to Healthy Connections Medicaid. You may be assigned to another health plan, but you can ask to come back to First Choice within 60 days of renewed Medicaid eligibility. It's your family. It's your choice. First Choice is the right choice. Renew and choose us. Visit selecthealthofsc.com slash renew to learn more. Seeing is believing, and you're not going to believe how bright and vivid the colors are on the Samsung Neo QLED and OLED TVs powered by the neural quantum processor. Because this is an audio ad. Unless you can see it, which means you already have one. Nice. Samsung, more wow than ever while getting those strikeouts and dominating the ratio stats. So you can actually kind of middle wins a little bit okay. while dom while getting a bunch of saves. So you actually gain, you know, you can, you can four or five wins, which can sometimes be a, a critical, uh, you know, four or five points in that setup. Um, so you don't completely punt anything, uh, but those are definitely, you know, you're going to be down the board in wins, down the board in strikeouts totals. Yeah, I would have just assumed that you'd be getting, you know, ones or twos at the worst, at the best from strikeouts and wins. But you're able to sustain like four, four or five points in a in a twelve team yeah. league. Yeah, uh, it's. I mean, when you're getting guys like you know, um, you know, these high strikeout relievers like a Giovanni Gallegos and uh, Eric Swanson comes to mind as a guy who's on my uh, a bunch of my teams. Joan Duran, uh, the closer out and uh, and with the twin with your twins, just the flamethrower. Uh, Munoz and uh, and Seawald out in Seattle. These are guys who are on a bunch of my teams. Evan Phillips is on a bunch of my teams. You can string together a couple of those guys and basically replicate a premium starting pitcher. 
right? If you look at, uh, at uh, Giovanni Gallegos' numbers for the, his career, he's essentially Jake DeGrom, just in very, very small doses at a time. His numbers are that good. Like, he is insanely talented. He, only, he just only pitches one inning at a time. So you right. got to kind of piece it together. You got to make sure you're, you're getting your starters in there every single day. It's difficult in a daily league, uh, but you can make it work. Uh, and it's a very effective strategy when it does work. You can dominate a league. So assuming that you've been using this strategy for multiple years now in, in some leagues where it's a repeating, you know, the, the same people you're playing against year to year, does anybody like catch on and try to stop you from doing that? I don't know if that's so, really easy to do, but. So this is something that I can't do in our contract league. Like I've got a few starters on the books. We actually uh, added saves we converted saves to saves plus holds this year. So it's a, a little bit more viable even. So I'm trying to angle sure. my team for the future toward that. Um, but this is actually something that I just do in these public redraft leagues where, where, you know, nobody knows me. You can look at my profile um, and see like, you know, what my teams have looked like. And I've got mixed results because I've been playing for so long and a lot of times I'll forget shit and like, you know, you know how season long goes. Um, but you know, when it's effective and when I've deployed it, uh, this is the first time I've done it across this many teams, all, all in the season, just saying, Hey, I'm going to go all in with this approach this year. Um, so, you know, a lot of teams are mix and match, uh, across the, the profiles history, but I've definitely won leagues with that approach, uh, in Yahoo public leagues before. Interesting. It's fun to just have like a, a different kind of approach to, to try these things and yeah. see it win. That's gotta be a lot of fun. Yep. Um, and all right. Enough People about season long. Completely baffled during those drafts at some of the picks that I'm, I'm making, sure, especially I'm sure. when we get to the middle. It's like you took yeah. who? A really non-closer. Like yeah. yeah, yeah, that's funny. I had to do a little aside there just because I thought it was interesting. You're in so yeah. many season long leagues, and you know, sounds. I think I started around 2001 also on Yahoo. I think uh, just never got to got to 30 teams. Sometimes I get to like <laughs> six or seven NFL teams. That's weekly, and I still I'm like. This is too much. So I don't know how you handle 30 baseball. It's definitely a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when I have to sit is, Hey, it's time to set my lineups. Especially if I, you know, it's 1245 on a one Oh five day, I got 30 teams to go through that can be aggressive. But uh, the good thing is it's basically since I drafted such similar teams across all 30 of them, because I was going with that approach and like, you know, there's only so many different angles into the, into the action. And especially after the first round, like I might have a different first and second round pick, but a lot of everything else just evens out because I'm still targeting those same guys all the way down. So a lot of it after the, I do the first two or three, it's like, all right, this one, this one, this one, and I can do them quickly. So that plays to my favor, but yeah, it's a lot to manage. It's might've been a mistake. (laughs) No doubt. Um, all right. Uh, so, so back to DFS. So 2015, you're looking for, you started in 2014, May of 2014 by mid 2015, you're looking for tools and stuff. Uh, were you a winning DFS player right away? So back in 2014, were you winning right away? Did it take you a couple of years? Uh, how, how was your uh, success early on? So I was hand building and I don't remember having anything. here. I couldn't find my, uh, in my phone. I was looking back to see when like my first, you know, the four figure win was, when did I, when did I really hit something that meant anything? I assume that, excuse me, in the, uh, in the first week and change there, I was at least cashing and doing okay. And I was entering like one to three lineups. It looks like, you know, going back through some of the history here. Um, but like I said, I signed up for FanDuel on uh, May 21st of 2014. And then looking through old emails on May 27th of uh, 2014, I had a Google chat with my buddy Lou in which I said, have you checked out FanDuel at all yet? And he said, no. And I said, it's pretty cool. You assemble the lineup from a pool of everyone with a salary cap factoring in at 35,000, actually a salary cap number, making it difficult and complete attorneys with big prizes. 
And then he asked about like how much money you have to put in. And I told him $2 and he asks how it works. Like bank <laughs> bankroll wise, it's, it's like an online poker account. And we went from there. So presumably I was doing at least okay and having fun. Um, you know, so, but I can't, I couldn't find like how successful I actually was in those, uh, those initial tournaments. Um, but it wasn't too long before if memory serves my first win of note was a $5,000 win uh, okay. in a baseball tournament. And I think it was that year, but it might've been in 2015 might've been the next season. Um, and what I was doing at this point in my life was um, because of how FanDuel was, was set up. Um, I think it was at this point, it was definitely at least in 2015 when I was using those tools. Uh, that's when I was working in Manhattan and it was legal in Jersey, but not legal in New York. Ooh. So I would have to put my entries in, in the morning as placeholders and then I could edit them from New York during the day. Um, but I would, you know, you'd want to be as close as possible to lock. So I'd be at the end of the day, 5.30, 6 o'clock in my office, trying to lock shit down, trying to run this optimizer tool that was running Excel in the meantime. And then what I would have to do is I would have to take a screenshot of that and then take that over to the bus and start entering those lineups and editing those lineups by hand as I was on the bus. Oh, no. If I forgot to put in my placeholders, I would have to be on that bus ride and immediately start entering lineups as soon as we cross the border in the Lincoln Tunnel back into New Jersey. So it was a uh, a fun little exercise and uh, a lot of uh, a lot of craziness and hand building and uh, hand entering back then. Um, but interestingly, if you want to hear it and stop me if you don't, I uh, actually found what I believe to be my first ever FanDuel entry. Because oh. apparently, and I don't remember this at all, but apparently back then they sent you an email saying your fantasy league is live when these, when these would start and uh, a copy of your, uh, your lineup. So on uh, May 21st, 2014, I entered the 12 K Wednesday MLB squeeze early only contest. And my lineup was Yankees starter, Chase Whitley, who I do not even remember. So that must've been something of a contrarian play right out of the gate. He was pitching against the Cubbies. Then I had a two-man uh, Victor Martinez, Miguel Cabrera, uh, Detroit against Cleveland Stack. I had Robbie Cano from Seattle uh, taking on the Texas Rangers. And then coming back the other way in that same game, I had Adrian Beltre and Shinsu Chu from the Rangers as a mini stack. Um, and then I had an Ian Desmond one-off, a Jacoby Ellsbury one-off, and a Michael Brantley uh, from the other side of that Detroit at Cleveland game. So I actually had a... Uh, Interesting little lineup there. Not what I would call a modern lineup in terms of yeah. what I would play. It was also a different setup. I think the scoring was a little bit different. I don't think okay. they had the fractional scoring back then uh, and no util slot. You had to play a catcher on FanDuel at the time. So it was interesting. Yeah, I don't really, I don't know if I played MLB back then. Like, I don't really remember how FanDuel, or how, uh, how MLB on FanDuel has changed over the years. Maybe I just didn't get started on MLB until a couple of years later. Uh, yeah. I, I started playing NBA in 2013. So that was when, when I really got started in FanDuel in 2013. But uh, yeah, I don't know if I played MLB back then. That's uh, yeah. that, that's funny that you played a fairly was... unstacked lineup. I mean, it sounds like that was maybe, maybe not even intentionally stacked. Would you agree with that? Or do you think you were keeping in mind like, okay, these guys bat near each other. So that's points. Maybe, maybe you were playing. So, I think probably I was thinking about that in terms of like playing Martinez and Cabrera right there, catcher first base, middle of the lineup. Um, it was they were facing uh, Zach McAllister, who mm -hmm. I also don't remember. I actually looked up all the results from this game. <laughs> Once I found this lineup, I actually had to look how they did. I didn't calculate out the FanDuel scores, but it, I must have had a decent day. Whitley went. Uh, Whitley uh, struck out three, allowed six hits, but only a run. Uh, Victor Martinez went uh, three for seven with a double, a home run, three RBI, three runs, two RBIs. Miggy wow. uh, scored a run and drove one in, walked once. 
Robbie Cano had a double, a home run. Uh, let's see. Shinsu Chu had a home run, two runs, an RBI. Michael Brantley had a double, two runs, three RBIs, and two stolen bases. So it must have been a decent day. So this is why you had uh, had to text your friend right away. You're like, this is so easy. I Look, fell in love. Almost, yeah, you probably won a lot <laughs> of money it. with that lineup. That's Turned it. two bucks into 100 or something. And you're like, <laughs> yeah, I'm sold. Yeah, that, it was. I tell you what, it was probably one of those frustrating ones, though, too, because Ian Desmond went one for four with no uh, no counting stats and somebody else in here, Ellsbury, went okay. two for six with no counting stats. So, like, it's probably one of those ones that was like, oh, look how well this lineup's doing. Look how. And then those two those two, you know, dings in that lineup probably took it down some. So sure. that's probably what really got me engaged in like, all right, I can do this. I can make this work. I just need yeah. to figure out those two spots and we're good here. Yeah. So it was probably the frustrating loss rather than a win that hooked me more. You know, if you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I can hear that. Um, and then uh, where and when did you get started doing DFS content and how tell, tell me about that, your backstory with DFS content. Um, so where did I get started doing DFS content? I would say it would be in the uh, awesome at the time, uh, you know, stochastic knee awesome um, Slack channels at the time. Um, just as a member, just, you know, firing away content, hanging out in the, uh, in the chats for the various shows. That's kind of where I just got started as far as actually wanting to put stuff out into the world. I'd been lurking on the fringes of all these different DFS sites. Like, uh, like you, you and I talked about before the show, I don't have a Roto grinders profile. I never really got into the, the whole, um, you know, following different uh, people and knowing who's tweeting about what and who's got a problem with which other guy, like I, my mind just starts to hum. Uh, and I, you know, I just, uh, I just play a song on repeat in my head when people start talking about that. Cause I just don't care. I really just don't care who hates you in the industry, who thinks somebody's a jerk, who took money from from who like fine that's that's all great and everything so i always stayed away from that i always found that um a lot of the different sites had toxic is a strong word but something along those lines um in, in terms of the communities where yeah. i didn't love what was going on in a lot of the environments there were good people in a lot of them but i didn't love some of the experts from some of the different sites um the communities from some of the different sites so i never really got involved until i found uh stochastic until i found awesomeo um, and just really liked the people that worked at the site, really liked some of the people that were in the community, found it a good community uh, where people were you know, interested in sharing ideas and everything. So that's when I kind of got involved. And then one day I just happened to reach out to Josh, who I talked to a lot, like I said earlier in the show, and just asked him, hey, you guys hiring? And he said, yeah, I could probably at least put in a good word. Went from there, started writing, started doing some content. My actual first day at Stochastic as an employee was the Rudy Gobert COVID day. Oh no. So the day that the world of sports shut down was, was technically my first day of uh, doing content at stochastic. So we spent that summer do writing about Korean baseball. I spent that summer writing two articles a day for what was then side piece where I was just spinning up whatever, you know, blog kind of nonsense, top five, this top five things I miss about a real summer, top 10 yeah. movies about this, uh, you know, so on and whatever so list you can think of. Exactly. Yeah. Just the, that listicle format, trying to be funny and, uh, you know, generate any kind of, clicks to to keep the site rolling so that was a fun <laughs> let me let me amend that i don't want to say that the covid <laughs> times were fun but it was that specific aspect of being trapped in the house during covid and all of that was fun yeah it, it sounds like it would be fun uh so i'm here so, so you're the original guy in chat just like giving out picks in chat is that what i'm hearing yeah pretty much <laughs> um yeah i was i was putting uh, my my uh somewhat infamous uh home run model picks in there into into chat and uh just kind of getting involved that way and just i was always 
willing to, uh, you know, help answer questions for people and, uh, and willing to explain things, um, you know, over time that <laughs> the desire is maybe diminished somewhat in terms of answering the same question over again. And, sure. you know, it's not answering the same question over again, actually. It's when people refuse to accept that that answer is the correct. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I've been there. The frustration yeah. with, I know with, you have. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's a little bit different because you uh, like you, you gave out picks in chat with like a model, like you had a whole like great reason. It wasn't like this play, this player played high school baseball 15 minutes from the stadium. Therefore, you should play him today. It was actually <laughs> you probably had good analysis. You had a model that you're using for your picks. Uh, and I know people are still out there asking for your picks pretty regularly. They, they want to hear about your home run model. So uh, you say infamous. I mean, it, it must have had some success. People must have yeah. found some success uh, with the picks that you gave out. And I think that has continued this year. As I recall, I, you've given out some picks that I've been like, yep, Terry called that home run uh, already pretty early in the season, already doing quite well. Uh, yeah, the, uh, the, old, the old machine every single year, I have to go into that Excel file and it is so held together with duct tape and you know sticks and god knows what in terms of just how this thing functions um where like so one of our guys asked me a question about like how do you do this in your model and i was like i don't even know right. <laughs> I, I literally don't even remember how that works and if i go in there and start digging i'm afraid i'm going to break something and never be able to fix it um because it just came together through so many different pieces and so many different sources where to the point where i have two different spots that i have to enter the daily schedule just because of how the damn thing works um, so it's just it's so cumbersome literally if i gave it to you no matter how good you maybe you know if you spent hours figuring it out you could get there but you could not turnkey this, uh, this thing it's so it's so old and broken so every year i have to get into it hope it still works remember how to use it um but yeah we came out of the gates pretty good with uh you know at least uh you know how that some of the data looks if not my uh my individual results so happy with uh you know people succeeding with uh with my picks and uh, my analysis and everything i i love nothing more than uh, than seeing people win when i'm not yeah it's very satisfying <laughs> that sounded, that sounded colder than i meant it i meant on a night that i'm not winning i love nothing more than seeing somebody win with my picks no, that's, that's, that's how i took yeah. it i didn't sound cool to me because i maybe that's just because i can totally relate it's, it's very satisfying to see other yeah. people using the information that you gave them uh and, and winning money with it is, is a very satisfying feeling um but it's not a it sounds like it's not a model that you can sell because nobody else can actually run the model is that what i'm hearing yeah no if, if somebody said hey i'll give you a thousand dollars for your excel file um, and I sent it to them. They'd ask for their money back because they would not be able to make it work. Okay. Well then maybe, <laughs> maybe some, some work to be done just on the making it easier for other people to understand side. If you ever want it, maybe you just don't ever want to well, sell the picks and, and things like that. You know, maybe there's a way to monetize those someday, but sure, uh, without, without the model itself, the I don't know. We might, model. we might keep behind closed doors. Okay. Makes sense. <laughs> um, and, and, and stochastic. So you, you've worked at stochastic since 2020. It's been uh, basically about three years exactly, right? Since uh, just over three years when you first started doing content for Stochastic. Yep. And you, you've played various roles as Stochastic. What have been some of your roles? I, I believe at one point I emailed customer support and you were one of the people who was responding to me. What are, <laughs> what are the various roles you played at Stochastic? Yeah. So year one was that weird, uh, you know, COVID year where uh, I was doing exclusively content. Uh, I would do uh, multiple articles a day and then jump on shows basically as needed. But I was on uh, shows pretty frequently. That was as a freelance. Then um, our CEO reached out to me and said, hey, I see you in, you know, in the chat all the time, helping people out, et cetera, et cetera. Would you be interested in coming on board and, uh, and running customer service? We needed to be, uh, you know, whipped into shape and, and, uh, you know, and, and set up and, uh, and also I did that for another year. Um, I was behind the scenes, I was doing content and all the shows and, uh, and all the writing and 
personally answering customer service emails while also running the team, uh, setting up a bunch of stuff behind the scenes uh, and doing all of that. Parted ways in that role um, in terms of being a full-time employee and went back to doing contract work um, around June of last year, I guess. Um, so you know, for various reasons that we don't need to get into and uh, have been happy, you know, just doing uh, the content that I get these days. I miss writing every day. Um, so, uh, as I hinted at, at the uh, top of the show, I kind of launched my own venture, uh, which, you know, hopefully will be in partnership with, uh, our friends at stochastic. I love, uh, everybody here and I want to do it the, the right way. So everything uh, on mine is right now, just content, uh, and you can find it, uh, over on my Twitter handle, uh, digital B 21 there's retweets and so on and so forth. And then you can connect to the other name, which I won't mention on a stochastic show, but I am creating content again, uh, in terms of writing things and then still doing shows for stochastic right now, uh, which I love doing and, uh, hopefully we'll continue to do a lot, but, uh, just through missing the writing every day, um, you know, it was kind of what led me to uh, jumping in with both feet to this venture on opening day of this baseball season. Sure. Uh, long winding answer to uh, what have you been doing <laughs> job wise? Yeah, so, so now it's just content for stochastic. That is, that is your correct. Only, I mean, you're, you're part time now. You, you took a step back from your full time role to just do part time. Uh, you and I have done a couple of baseball shows already. I'm hoping that you and I will get to do uh, some some more oh, yeah. baseball shows as well. I love doing the shows with Dude, you because we. I mean, I feel like we take fairly, in, in some ways, different approaches to. Not really, because you you also play very much the game theory aspect. But I guess because you're doing, uh, you do all the the deep data your stuff. So yourself, you're actually doing your own models mm -hmm. and stuff. Whereas I'm just using the stochastic stuff. So you're just doing a more of more of the work yourself than I am. I guess is really the the big difference. But it's always fun to talk baseball with you because you know everything about every batter, every pitcher. <laughs> you have all of the underlying statistics because that's all stuff that you need to know because you're actually making your own model. Whereas some of the stuff like, oh, I didn't I, di I didn't know that because I didn't need to because I'm just using projections. Right that other smart people made for me uh, right which is i mean i love baseball it's you know it's a passion for me um but it's definitely nice like that's kind of my existence in the nba right where i'll jump on nba shows and if you see me on there i can talk about a lot of the different statistics and i've got a whole dashboard that lays it all out in front of me and i can talk about so and so's true shooting and blah 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 but what i focus on on those shows a lot more tends to be the dfs of it um, yep. tends to be how things are coming together on slate for price, for ownership, for leverage, uh, and the things that we really, really care about in basketball, where with baseball, I do think there's more art than science to, to baseball lineups to certain degrees. Um, when it comes to determining which, uh, you know, teams are the, in the best position and so on and so forth, it's very much a numbers game, but then there's some art to it in terms of how the lineups are constructed, which hitters you're getting to in stacks, uh, and how you're stringing things together, where I think you can get into the baseball of it a little bit more. So that's where I do think that, uh, the baseball of it has value talking about, you know, hitters contact profiles. Uh, all right. Yeah. A guy strikes out 30% of the time, but against this soft tossing pitcher who only strikes 14% of hitters out, I don't really care about his 30% strikeout rate. I care about his 14% barrel rate when he does make contact. Um, so it's things like that, that. You can look between the lines of the statistics for that, you know, a little bit more than in some of the other sports, as far as DFS goes, I do feel have uh, at least some degree of important baseball. So do you think that those kinds Congress of statistics enthusiastically agrees over here? That's what yeah. Sounds, sounds like he's very much in agreement. <laughs> um, would you say that those statistics inform like range of outcomes more so than like, so like projection, you know, is going to encompass all ranges of outcomes. It's just like a median of all of a batter's range of outcomes. When you say that you think that you like to get into the baseball of it all to know, you know, things like barrel rate against a left-hander who throws side or I don't know what, what exactly you get into, but like, do you think that that Somebody helps got to Nick inform, on the mind? 
That's right. Uh, <laughs> do you think that it helps inform like the range of outcomes for you? Like, okay, maybe he's, uh, he's got a higher likelihood of hitting, you know, the, the higher end of his range of outcomes because of the way he hits against this type of pitcher. Is that uh, like, like, how would you say that it informs your process other than just like, I mean, it, it, infor- it obviously affects the projection if a batter is going to do particularly well against a type of pitcher, or do you think yeah. that Vegas just doesn't know some of that stuff? So maybe it's not always encompassed. Oh, there's nothing that Vegas doesn't know. Did you miss your deadline to renew your Medicaid coverage? You can still send your completed annual review form to Healthy Connections Medicaid. You may be assigned to another health plan, but you can ask to come back to First Choice within 60 days of renewed Medicaid eligibility. It's your family. It's your choice. First Choice is the right choice. Renew and choose us. Visit selecthealthofsc.com renew to learn more. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com slash play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com slash play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Vegas knows what we're having this conversation right now. And they're <laughs> going to adjust their models accordingly. Sure. Um, sure. Yeah. No, I, I give Vegas a lot of credit for uh, how smart they are. Uh, as my father's uh, famously said, they didn't build all those hotels by losing. So that's definitely, uh, you know, a factor in it. I definitely look at, uh, at their run totals and everything. But I do think there are things that at least the DFS public in general probably doesn't understand about the mechanisms of baseball and how that works. So it can probably more than saying this guy, well, yeah, it, it can say that this guy's got an extended opportunity to reach the, you know, the ceiling of his range of outcomes um, where the public might not necessarily recognize that. Um, last night, a guy named Bobby Dahlbeck was in the uh, the Red Sox lineup. And if you, you love Bobby Dahlbeck, because pro- I recall. Prospect, yeah, you thought we were getting through this podcast without hearing the name Bobby Dahlbeck. No, you just I did not. It. I did not think so. <laughs> But the reason I mentioned uh, mentioned Bobby Dahlbeck is he's a guy who, you know, the, the world at large does not think much of. He's struggled uh, through throughout much of his major league career, but he's got a phenomenal contact profile when he does make contact. He's got a history of being a monster slugger in the minor leagues, and he's got a great bat. He was in the in uh, DraftKings uh, yesterday, and he he didn't come through for us, right? He went, uh, I think, 0 for 4. He made an error in the field, cost Chris Sale uh, an opportunity. So wasn't a good game for old Bobby. But what I liked was he picked up random shortstop eligibility this year. Uh, he's like a hulking, like first base, third base kind of a guy and uh, now plays shortstop. And he was the dead minimum price on DraftKings yesterday, hitting six in the Red Sox lineup. That's a guy who could go out and hit you one home run, two home runs, have a monster performance at low ownership. So what I think knowing the game, knowing things like uh, what a guy's contact profile looks like or what is what his prospect pedigree was, you know, the, the, some narratives that I kind of dismiss in other sports, I can embrace a little bit more in baseball because I do think there are things that are un, not necessarily uncovered in just the projection form, in just looking at the numbers. Um, 
now that said, all of that exists in the numbers and much of that is accounted for in how I do things in my model. So those things do come out in my projections as well. Right. It's just a matter of, I can talk about them with people when I'm on the shows, I can write about yeah. them and, you know, and, and help you know, kind of elucidate those things. Um, if I was just doing it, I wouldn't have to sit here and think about it. It would just come out the other side of my model and uh, it would be a shorter day. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can talk about the stuff for hours. I, I think if, yeah. if the, if our shows did not have a stopping point, I'm sure you could get into uh, every little <laughs> stat that informs your model. Uh, with ease, I, I would think. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like I said, there's a lot of parts of it that I just need to remember exactly how they work. Cause I built it so long ago. Uh, and it was so, uh, you know, kludgy and uh, cobbled together, but yeah, I, I could get into all sorts of different stuff with it. So, uh, wherever we wanted to go. So is, is your model, is it something that you're still adjusting at all? I mean, it sounds like, uh, for the most part, it's something that you kind of set it and forget it a few, few years back. And it's just been, uh, it, it's worked well enough that you don't feel the need that you need to you know, adjust it. Maybe you don't want to break something that you don't need. Uh, sorry. Don't try to fix something that's not broken, I guess. Is that your approach here? Yeah. Yeah. It gets updated um, with, you know, the, the previous year's stats and everything sure. and, uh, and current year as we hit a certain point in the season, uh, that'll be a little ways down the road. I'll bring more current year stuff into it. Um, so it, it certainly rolls along in terms of the data that it uses to inform the numbers, but the actual model itself, the, the math, uh, yeah, hasn't been changed in, in a while for the baseball one basketball. I basically rebuilds from the ground up every year. Uh, same with football. I don't really use, um, my football model that much anymore. I kind of run it alongside, but then just use a lot of stochastic stuff. Um, so I got to bring that one back up to speed uh, a little bit, but it's been successful in the past basketball. It runs so similar to the stochastic model that I can switch back and forth between the two. Um, I actually built a new version this year that, um, you know, I was trying to take a, maybe a unique look into, uh, you know, um, instead of per minute or per uh, possession, I was looking at some per touch numbers where, uh, you know, how frequently has the guy just got his hands on the ball rather than looking at like a, a usage. So I was trying to do that and uh, it created some, some interesting looks at, um, you know, positional um, differences for DFS purposes, but ultimately I'm not sure how valuable it would be because it essentially projects out very, very similar to, uh, to what we're getting from stochastic, what right. my other, uh, you know, per uh, possession model was giving me. So not really a major difference uh, that I uncovered there. Um, but yeah. And then other things like, uh, you mentioned that I had a nice NASCAR win. I had a nice NHL win. Those both came during the, uh, the NBA all-star break this year over that weekend. I had, uh, oh, you like had fourth two. place in that NASCAR wow. one. And then I won the, I entered two NHL tournaments this season, one on uh, the first day of the NHL season that I was not overly successful in. And then won that weekend and I won that one for, for 10 grand. Uh, so wow. nice little results there, but that was entirely thanks to stochastic, the top, uh, top stacks tool for uh, NHL functions very much like top uh, stacks for baseball. And you kind of go from there. Yeah. Easy, easy enough to read. That's incredible. You got two, two wins during the NBA all-star break, just sports. You don't <laughs> it was usually a nice play. productive little break. That's really, yeah, I think it was fourth in NASCAR for like four or five grand. And then the first in uh, NHL for 10. Nice. Um, let me take a minute away from this conversation with Terry McBride. Tell you about today's sponsor bet pro now available for both NBA and MLB. Stochastic's top ranked DFS pros have made millions of dollars in daily fantasy contests using stochastics. DFS player projections. Now users can have direct access to the same player stat projections that drive our winning DFS player point projection models. With this data, users can apply advanced sports analytics to player prop bets and get an edge on the sports books. These projections are directly managed by Stochastic's team of established experts, including Alex Baker, Steve Buzzard, and Sean Zahn. For a limited time, you can get a seven day free trial of BetPro for new users. 
then it's $15.95 per week or $55.95 per month. Use the link in the description of this video. All right. So uh, with, with all these wins in mind, in which sport or sports in this, I, I think I know the answer, but I'll ask you, in which sport or sports do you think you have the biggest edge in DFS? I would say it's probably baseball, but baseball I also think is the um, most variant and yep. most difficult to actually win. There are a lot of days where I'll be right about 85% of the baseball slate and not come close to winning the tournament, right. um, which can be frustrating, but it's also part of the fun of it. Um, where if I, if I'm 85% right uh, about basketball and I don't have a lineup in the, you know, the top X, I'm going to be kind of annoyed at myself for screwing something up. Like it, basketball just flows a little bit more normally than, uh, yeah. than baseball does. Yeah, it's definitely a, a very different game. Baseball, I've, I've, I've had longer stretches in baseball where I just like just a straight down error on my roto track. Mm -hmm. It looks like I'm like, man, this is, and then it's just like, and then when it starts going well, you can see, you know, you, you jump pretty quickly as well. It's yeah. uh, very different from like NBA where it's just like, you're usually going to find some winning days in the process. Baseball is just like, if you're not getting the stacks right and like the combos right with the stacks, it can be a pretty brutal sport at times. Yep. Uh, and that's it. You, you can, like you just said, it's, it's also, it's the combination of hitters within those stacks that can burn right. you too. It, that can be the most frustrating part. You'd be, I had 30 lineups with Yankee stacks in them. How did I not come through tonight? And you say, Oh, because I didn't have Jose Trevino in any of them. And he hit a home run. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. it. It could be that easy. All parts of the stack. Yep. Yeah. It's tough. Um, all right. So process, we'll talk just a little bit about process. So at this point, do you, do you do any of your own simulations or use simulations from outside sources as part of your process? For basketball, um, I do have a, a big simulation process. I use it a little bit in football. Um, and then in football, I also have other tools that I'm just like running um, numbers against like standard deviation to get like outcome uh, probabilities. Um, so yes, basketball is the one where I have a like click go and a thing runs for like 15 minutes and then gives me some output type of a simulation. Cool. Um, in that one, it's basically I build out lineups and then I run the lineups against one another to select my most premium lineups from the night. So it's a multi-layered multi process where I could take any of those lineups and enter them into a contest and be comfortable with the lineups because of they're built through my construction process. And then when they get spit out the other side in the last handful of minutes, and this is where it can get really, really chaotic on a bad night for changes for the NBA for me, uh, because that process does need a little time to run. But I've got a macro-based uh, Excel simulation that records I can run it 5,000 times, 10,000 times, create 30 million data points for the uh, for the slate for uh, outcomes, and then you know pick my best lineups from that. So that's something I've been doing a lot with NBA. Um, I've tried to run, like I said, the same process for uh, for NFL for the week and you know create 100 million data points for an NFL slate and try and select from that. But it gets really messy really fast. <laughs> NFL one. So and, and I think that NFL works still a little bit better via the old just, uh, you know, rank and sort um, methodology as well, which is what I still use for baseball. Um, baseball is also one where I like I was saying before, you know, more art than uh, science that kind of comes through in how I select my lineups for baseball, sure. where I've got my big ranking system. It'll be set up with, you know, the um, percentile ranks for um, for projection, for ownership, for my home run rating, um, for a couple other things. And then I show myself in a dashboard, which teams are in there, how are they stacked, which pitcher are they facing, which pitcher is the pitcher for that lineup, and a couple other things. But then I really do go through it after I rank it out and play with the various percentages. I've got a tool that can give kicks to stacks that aren't coming up enough for me in my sort. And then I'll get in. And if I find that I'm not getting enough of a pitcher, let's say, I'll go to the extent where I will just literally filter to just that pitcher 
and then take the top lineups for that pitcher just to make yep. sure that I'm getting to the right distributions. Um, so yeah, baseball, I get manually involved a lot more than the other sports uh, process wise. So you, uh, so you say you're, you use your simulator mostly for NBA. To me, that feels like the uh, counterintuitive for me, just because late swap is such a big thing with NBA. Is that, is that why you don't play as much later on in the year? Because do you have, first of all, do you have a late swap mechanism within your simulator to help you make uh, you know, smart late swaps when things change after lock? Uh, or you know, if, if you don't, if is that why it changes? If, if it's 645 and somebody scratches from who was supposed to start in the seven o'clock game, I'm probably screwed on that position. Okay. That's the one thing that can get me. I'm quick enough with being able to enter a full slate of lineups for seven o'clock and change anything that changed for the 730 games um, via an optimizer. I'll just put them back into a late swap in a, in a public optimizer and use that and, and get to the positions I need. Um, it's not ideal when things change at the last minute for the seven o'clock games. That can, that can definitely burn me in that process. I can also bail out of that process at any time, revert to an old ranking, uh, rank and sort process, sure. run some new lineups, drop them into that and be fine, which is typically what I'll tend to do in that situation. Um, okay. I can, I can run a shorter version of the SIM too. I can just change how many iterations it runs and get to a, a, a quicker output, which is another thing that I'll, you know, depending on how much time is left there, I'll be able to do. So yes, it's a problem. Um, but I've got moderately acceptable solutions for it. Okay. And then, uh, projections. So you, uh, do you do your own projections from scratch, uh, for, for, and, and for which sports, if any? Yeah, for baseball, um, I use 100% my stuff, uh, except I am currently uh, still using Stochastic's ownership because that's a nut that I've just never bothered to crack because Stochastic is so goddamn good at it yeah. um, that I've always used Stochastic uh, data for that. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm reasonably good at, uh, you know, hey, how do you think this pitcher is going to be owned? And, you know, getting you know a couple guys at a time, but doing the full slate. Uh, Stuff. Not sure how sure. the guys do it and uh, they, they do it really, really well. Um, but yeah, do my own projections, my own home run model and all of that for baseball. I have all my own models like I was talking about for uh, for basketball. I rebuild basically every year um, with similar principles, uh, but, you know, trying to tweak things here and there. Uh, football, I've had the same one for, for a while, but I'll always tweak it. And typically I run that and I have a dashboard where my projection ends up just as a column next to stochastics projection and a couple other sources. And then I'll use either an average or I'll use stochastics or I'll just use one to inform the others um, for that. NHL, I've always just used stochastics data. I have a model that I built a long, long time ago. I'm not sure how well it works uh, because again, it's just so much a stacking game and stochastics been projecting it so well that why bother? Yeah. Um, so I think that covered the four majors. Yeah, that covered them. Uh, and, and how much does ownership play a role for you in creating your lineups? So it's a very important factor. Um, and it's a very important factor for me. I always want to make sure that I have differentiation, but what I think people really get way too carried away with in the industry and uh, in the audience is individual ownership saying that a guy is not a good play because he's popular. And something I've tried to get away from a little bit when I'm doing shows, I'm as guilty of it as anybody. Oh, this guy's going to be owned, blah, 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 blah. knock him down a peg. Um, I don't necessarily know that that's, as critical as we make it out to be. It's certainly important, right? You want to have 
a well-leveraged lineup. But a lot of the time, those guys are popular for a reason. And take right. NBA as the best example of that. The field is now so sharp in NBA that the most popular plays of the day are typically the best plays of the day. It's very much for a reason. So I rely on a couple differentiated plays throughout a lineup. I look a lot more at the lineup combination. What's the popularity of that specific combination going to look like? What's the ownership product? And then what is, you know, what is the actual one in X probability that other people are going to dupe that lineup? So I care a lot more about being duped. Um, particularly in things like showdown, which I think somebody asked us a question about, I yeah. care a lot more about whether or not my lineup is going to be duplicated rather than what is its, you know, individual ownership, what is its ownership sum uh, and things like that. Um, sure. So I don't care about a guy's individual ownership number nearly as much as I care about uh, the full picture. The lineup. Yeah. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's about lineup. It's not about individual players. Yeah. That's uh, well, well put, but you're, it's something that you're looking at, you know, just for, you still want to have, you know, within your lineup, you don't want your lineup to be, super high owned and you don't want you obviously don't want to run into duplication uh if, yeah. if you can avoid it at, at any cost yeah um, to the point where like in showdown that's the first thing I, i'll run a full pool of a, of a ton of lineups and i'll go and i'll sort it by my one in x um you know probability of being duped and i will take out anything below you know one in ten thousand one in five thousand depending on the field size obviously sure. you know if you're if you're in a 200 entry tournament, maybe you don't need to get that aggressive about it. Um, but in these, you know, massive field, 200,000 entry tournaments, like you got to get pretty aggressive and then you'll still be duped a bunch of times. It's just looking in, in showdown in particular for NFL, it's really looking to minimize the number of times that you're duped because it, you know, like, like we talked about at the top of the show, um, my biggest win of all time was a five way chop in a showdown. We five way chopped a million dollars. That'll right. work out. I'll take that anytime. I don't yeah. mind chopping five ways in that scenario. So it's about minimizing it, not totally eradicating it. You want to be sure you're still playing good, effective lineups. Okay. So I, I want to, um, to I'll, I'll jump to this question from Sam Schaefer. But first, uh, as we set up, do you play Showdown on DraftKings at all for, for NFL Showdown? I think is what we're talking about here. Do you play NFL Showdown for DraftKings or do you still only play the, the single game uh, format on FanDuel? No, it's pretty much just, I'm pretty exclusive to, uh, to FanDuel play. What I tend to do on DK is like, if there's a odd tournament where like a golf major or something like that, and they've got a million FanDuel's only got a, you know, a 50 K or something yeah. along those lines, then I might jump in and, and be kind of fishy over on DK. But, uh, yeah, everything I do is, is pretty exclusively on, uh, on FanDuel. Okay. Well, so, so, well, with that context in mind that you're mostly playing on FanDuel, I don't know if it's going to change anything for the question, but Sam Schaefer wanted to ask you, what to you is more important when building for showdowns, the players themselves, including all offshoots of that, such as matchups, metrics, narratives, or do you worry more about structure of your builds, such as salary usage, position to MVP correlation, stack rules, et cetera? Probably the second one, um, because it's all, I mean, a lot of the things that I do care about from the first set of, uh, of possibilities kind of inform the second set, right? Yeah. Um, things like the players, who they are, their projections, uh, and all of those things inform how that lineup construction is going to come together and who's going to be allocated into what roles and uh, in, in what, um, in, uh, in, you know, how, in what kind of volume. Um, so it's probably the second one. I would take narratives just completely out of that question. Um, take narratives out of your process entirely. 
Um, it's, it's, it's just such a waste of time, guys, uh, people out there listening, Neil, um, you know, it's now I am here to tell you that narratives are something to get rid of. Um, people do not care about the laundry. People aren't just inspired to play well because they're facing, uh, you know, their old team or they hate the color red or, or any of these different things. Like it's just, it's so not something to chase. And it's certainly not something that we can quantify in projections. So narrative is, is not a thing for me. Um, but yeah, it would be the latter. It would be about the construction, um, in, like I said, very much I am paying attention to how the possibility that that lineup is going to be duped and minimizing that. And then a lot of the time I'm looking at trying to get a lower owned captain, somebody who's going to give me some salary value uh, with the DK salary multipliers specifically. I want to start working in some of those, those cheaper lower owned captain plays with some upside, with some potential to hit a ceiling score for me, and then get some of the, the backfill on the uh, salary where I'm creating lineups in the other positions that maybe other people can't reach because they played a more expensive captain, right? That's right. going to gain you leverage. That's going to gain you uh, uniqueness. It's going to gain you ceiling and upside. You have to be willing to tolerate a lot of losing. Um, you know, certainly taking that approach, but yeah, I'd be paying more attention to doing a, uh, you know, good contrarian solid build with a good ceiling, um, leaving salary on the table. I think you're a big advocate of that for showdowns is how I find, uh, one of the most effective ways to get to that result as well. Yeah, definitely for me, the, the easiest way to avoid duplication on FanDuel in particular, it can be tough to avoid duplication because it's one less roster spot than on DraftKings, and also the lack of multiplier at the MVP spot. It just, sometimes you end up you know, the, the winning lineup would be duped 2000 times. And it's yeah. like, yeah, it's 200,000 at first and everybody won 600 bucks. You know, it's like, it's not even <laughs> worth it. So like, uh, what, what steps do you take? So is it just leaving salary on the table? Do you do weird things with your roster construction? What do you try to do to uh, avoid duplication on FanDuel? Yeah. So probably, you know, it, it depends, right? We'll see pretty much taking NFL as the example. We'll see, you know, the quarterbacks are going to be very highly owned captains. We see that all the time or MVPs on the, uh, on the FanDuel slate. So just as a first step, you know, going away from having those guys as necessarily the outright highest owned guys in that role in my pool, I might spread it out a little bit more. They might still end up the highest owned in my pool, but it'll probably be lower than where the field has them in that role. And I'll get them in the other roles at a higher leverage. So I'm, you know, I'm putting them in uh, in the different multiplier spots or I'm putting them into util and mixing things up a little bit just to create different types of lineup, even using the same players. I'm just putting them in different spots, trying to create a little bit of flexibility. I'm trying to get high ceiling wide outs into the, uh, into the MVP spot where they're still going to be that correlation with the quarterback i can get the quarterback play if you get a couple touchdowns out of the wide out in a big day maybe you're off and running um i'm trying to play a, a lower own low volume tight end in a, in a in a uh in a lineup that if that two target tight end happens to catch a uh a touchdown pass in that game you might be off and running in a low scoring game in a showdown slate thank you no offense for that two hundred thousand dollar victory yeah that is an exemplification of what I'm talking about there. I think that lineup, if I remember correctly, had both quarterbacks, had a wide receiver from Seattle um, in. Uh... Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on prize picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, 
Price Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Price Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Some people don't think horses and people communicate. We call those people not horse people. Not horse people don't know you and your horse share a unique bond or that your horse knows you know they like your dogs. But not so much the barking. At Sentinel Horse Nutrition, we don't knock not horse people. We're too busy focusing on horse people's horses. With extruded nugget feeds for exceptional nutrition and formulas for every need, our wide choice of feeds makes it easy to find the fit for your horse's health. Find theirs at feedsentinel.com. In the uh, MVP spot, had Noah Fant in it, who caught a touchdown pass at like point something percent ownership and and that was that was it that was you know the uh, the path to victory so it's really about just making different plays um specifically in showdown uh, more more so than anything else to me i really want to get creative i really want to get different in showdown i use a ton of randomness um in the uh in the crunches in the lineup builds whatever you want to call them whatever site you're using yep. put heavy randomness in there don't be afraid and, and ultimately don't be afraid to lose Right. We're, for we're showdown, trying to win especially. these tournaments. Yeah. It, especially, especially for showdown, but overall in, in DFS, yeah. right. We're trying to win these tournaments or we're going to lose them and we don't care. Shooting for caching is the quickest way to lose your whole bankroll. Right. It yep. just is. So we want to be at the top or we don't care if we're at the bottom. Like you have to not sweat losing. You have to be willing to embrace some risk and, and make some differentiated plays. So. Especially with the the payout structure, where it's like hundred thousand a first, and then twenty thousand a second, five thousand a third. I mean, I might I'm, exactly. I'm maybe slightly exaggerating, like the, but the payout structure is just so much to first, yeah. uh, and in particular with the showdown, it's like if you don't get first in showdown on almost every slate, you're going to be losing money. Occasionally, you can get you know a second or third where you know the first place was not duped, and you can get a you know <laughs> still place pretty well. But most of the time, you're either you have the best lineup, uh, or or you don't, and it's yep. uh yeah. That's so it. so on on Fanduel say. Talking uh, NFL sh- NFL showdown, really, I guess NFL single game is what they call it on FanDuel. Yeah. Um, what what kind of uh, duplication numbers are you looking for? Because there are some sites where it's like, if you really try to make unique lineups, you're probably going to find like 30 viable, you know, totally unique lineups. And then from there, you have to like kind of concede like, okay, I'll dupe, you know, three times, four times. What's the kind of like max that you'd be willing to try to dupe in a lineup? So, I mean... If we're talking about one of those tournaments with a million dollars up top, let's just let's just make it really simple. Do I want to win 100k? All right, I can yeah, be do. I take 100k. Times. Sure, I'll take 100k out of one of those tournaments. Right. Let's make it as simple as that. Once we start chopping that even further down, then we get really really thin, and it's hard to sustain a, a long term uh, profitability in that in that. But yeah, if I can if I can be duped 10 times or or fewer in one of those massive field showdowns with multiple hundred thousands of uh, of entries, I think I'm pretty happy. I'm shooting for fewer than, than 10, obviously, you know, I'd love it to be five, but I'll accept 10 most, most times out of the game. Yeah. I think that's a, a fair number in general. Um, so the reason that you and I finally ended up scheduling you as the guest on the show is you were, uh, you were in the audience during, while I was doing a solo MLB stream and we, and somebody <laughs> okay. brought up the, where is the landscape of DFS going? Somebody brought up the idea of like, do you think DFS is going to go away since we have sports betting? And you were in the audience saying that you, uh, kind of think maybe the opposite, that maybe this is an opportunity for DraftKings and FanDuel to draw people in from sports betting over to DFS potentially. Uh, so I wanted to, to ask you about that question in particular where your mind is overall, how you see DFS, the direction of DFS going forward. What, uh, where do you see the DFS landscape changing going forward sure. from here? 
Yeah, I think I think it's fairly healthy, right? I think it's a fairly healthy ecosystem right now. We've got two huge companies um, with plenty of capital um, that are running the show for us right now, and then all these little you know offshoot uh, type companies that uh, that get involved and uh, get promoted on our uh, various shows and everything. But the two majors are not going anywhere anytime soon, and they're both involved in the sportsbook industry, right? So I still think that hooking people via fantasy sports is easier than hooking people via straight sports betting. It's still, there's a little bit of a stigma associated in some people's mind, right? We're talking about the general public. We are not talking about anybody who's listening to this podcast sure. or anybody like that, right? But think of, um, you know, your, uh, your, your semi-conservative, uh, not politically, but just conservative type person, um, you know, your uncle or whatever, who's never made a sports wager in his life, doesn't yeah. really care about it, but he's played fantasy sports with his buddies for years playing fantasy football. So it's still an easier hook. I think it's still not legal. I don't think in a hundred percent of, uh, of states, not, not country. legal here. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's different ways that you can go about, um, you know, is using both cross pollination from their different platforms, uh, bringing sports betters over to DFS, but more specifically using DFS as the hook to get people comfortable putting money on FanDuel, comfortable putting money on DraftKings. And then it's very easy for them to move it over with these different promotions. So I think that's at the very least, we'll continue to see that, that this is going to be a tool for these sites. I don't know that they're having meetings about, Hey, how are we going to advance DFS into the, uh, into the next sure. decade and, uh, and make it bigger and better and everything. But I just, think via you know just the rising tide concept i think just with more and more people betting and more and more people getting directly involved in things like player props right player props are everywhere these days yeah. it's such a popular way to bet well there's going to be a lot of people losing a lot of money on player prop parlays around the world but they're going to be interested in the mechanism behind it and they're going to be having fun doing it so they'll look for ways where they can still do that and play and be involved and potentially win thousands and thousands of dollars, but also risk less doing it. A $4 entry on FanDuel is a lot more friendly than uh, even a $20 you know, uh, parlay when you're looking to chase specific things. So I think there's a spot for it. It might be, you know, it's certainly more niche than, uh, than sports betting and straight sports books and uh, a lot of other things, but I don't think it's going away anytime soon. And I do think that there's opportunity for it to grow. We still see the massive prize pools in, uh, in football. We still see very healthy prize pools in basketball. Um, um, you know, baseball and hockey, uh, you know, we're our second class citizens a little bit as, as uh, comes to that, but there's still 30, 50, hundred thousand dollars up for grabs every single night. And, uh, you know, more than that, if you're playing in multiple tournaments. So I think it's pretty healthy and, uh, I think it's going to be interesting to watch it go forward. So I, I hear what you're saying and I hope that you're right. And, and maybe, maybe it'll happen that they'll grow my concern, my biggest concern. And uh, I'm sure you can appreciate this as a FanDuel guy. And maybe you haven't seen it the same way. I get the impression that FanDuel just doesn't care that much about their DFS product. Like they're just, you know, I feel like they could very easily be filling as many, as much as DraftKings is in terms of like putting if they put out big contests and they had big prize pools, they could fill it pretty easily. But I, I get the impression that with sports betting, FanDuel is just like, uh, DFS does, doesn't make us nearly as much money. So we just care more about sports betting. Do you have any concerns about that? Just like FanDuel is maybe not, you know, willing to put in the effort with DFS while it's crushing it so, so well in sports betting. Is that a concern for you at all? Or do you think they're going to figure it out eventually? I think it'll get there eventually. I think the focus is most definitely on growing the already largest sports book in the country to 
just even more of a monopoly. If they can buy out DraftKings, they would, um, you know, so I think there's a lot of focus in that space now, but eventually that's going to hit an equilibrium and they're going to start focusing back toward the other parts of the business. And hopefully it won't be in a cost cutting. We need to fold this, <laughs> get rid of it uh, yeah. kind of a thing. I can't imagine that it incurs much cost for them. Uh, it's right. just a computer program. Since they runs. have no customer support. Exactly. Yeah. There's nobody, there's nobody that answers the phones or answers the emails. There's an intern in the closet setting the prices every night and that's about it. So, I mean, there's not much cost associated with it. So I think they will eventually come back around and, and say, Hey, we've got this whole thing here. We've got this audience. This can be used as a good hook to get people on board, get them used to that dopamine hit of just checking their lineups. Then you offer them a promo and now they're making sports bets. Like it's just such a natural filter and a natural feeder system for me that I can't see them going away from it. I do agree that they're not currently focused on it, uh, at least not with any uh, you know real concern. Yeah, but hopefully, hopefully they can right the ship a little bit and start caring a little bit more. Uh, all right, we, we're getting close to the end. I know Mike has a heart out here, but we got a, a few more questions I want to get through. Uh, sure. Joe LaCates asked or stated, Emac, Tmac, twenty twenty four. What do you think? Are you gonna are you gonna run for vice president with Emac? I I would definitely happily be on board. Uh, I've always considered myself, uh, you know, more of uh, maybe like a chief of staff uh, type okay. of a person. I could uh, probably pull off press secretary if I had to. I don't know that I'm the right guy for VP. I'm gonna okay. say that. I'm gonna come out and say it. It is a you know, it's catchy. If he needs me, if the party needs cool. me, I'll be there. Right. Um, but I, I I'm more of behind the scenes, like chief of staff kind of a kind of a role. All right. Well, you, you've got my vote if you do whatever capacity you're running. You've got my vote. Uh, and Steve Leibowitz asks, "How much coffee is too much coffee?" First, we'll start with that question. How much coffee is too much coffee? Uh, not. Uh, I have never found that line. I'm currently uh, dealing with an empty mug uh, that I was a full mug when we started this show, and uh, I'll be going back for more after we get off this and jumping back into finishing my article and uh, starting to build lineups, and then probably have even more going into the evening. So there's never wow. enough coffee. Man, I, I don't know. I, I used to drink coffee all day. I had a job where I would drink coffee till three or four, and then I would have uh, not be able to fall asleep. And I'd be wondering, why can't I fall asleep tonight? You're, you're just uh, you're able to sleep even with an evening coffee. No, this is why I keep the weird hours. That oh, okay, that's fair. All right, all right. Fair <laughs> yeah, I'm up. But I mean, I'm just naturally even if I imbibe no caffeine during the day, I would just be up till you know, three, four o'clock in the morning. And then, you know, I can sleep in once I fall asleep, I'm out. I can sleep fairly well. Um, and I'm good at sleeping in through the mornings. Um, but yeah, I'm a night owl by trade, so it doesn't really matter, but yeah, I have always been okay at, uh, I can have a cup of coffee, like out at the diner back in college at 3am then come in and just crash and go to sleep. Um, so never really had a problem with it. I did not realize you were such a crazy night owl. I, I am also, oh, I'm yeah. a natural, like probably like three to 11 is like my most natural sleep schedule. Of course, I never keep that because I try to keep closer to more conventional hours, but uh, definitely <laughs> yeah. more natural for me. Yeah. Uh, lousy real up. life gets in the way, but uh, yeah. once it became everything works from home, uh, you know, especially like during the pandemic times and everything. And then now uh, living the life of a, uh, I guess DFS pro and guy who I writes mean, content. Uh, I seems like it. Call, I don't want to self-label with that. My God. <laughs> but uh, yeah, living the lifestyle that I do is uh, kind of conducive to being able to sleep in exactly that, like, you know, three, 4 a.m. to uh, 10 a.m., 11 a.m. New, uh, yeah, it's not bad. Window, it's not bad. Not a bad lifestyle. Uh, okay. And then uh, Stephen Lee, what's added uh, one more. What are the three advanced stats? And I'm assuming he's talking baseball here. What are the three advanced stats you think are most helpful to look at uh, to the extent that you're willing to share? Uh, and if you have answers that don't, that are not about baseball, if you think like, well, this stat in basketball is extremely important, I guess you could throw those out as well. 
Uh, send that one Josh Engelman's way and ask him whatever he thinks is the most uh, important three advanced stats for basketball. Okay. I'll let him feel that one. He, uh, he's better at that one for me. On the baseball side of things, um, you know, it depends on who we're talking about specifically. I talked a little bit earlier in the show about uh, some of the contact metrics that I look at, but those don't necessarily exist in a vacuum, uh, like something like barrel rate. You know, you want the, the barrel rate, the percentage, like I'm looking right now, Vlad Guerrero Jr. last year, an 11.2% barrel rate, 50.4% hard hit rate, just phenomenal numbers from Vlad. What, you, what that encapsulates is that's 11.2% of his batted ball events were barrels, right? So it's not 11.2% of every pitch that he's thrown is barreled. Um, so it depends to a degree. What I like to look at in combination is what is the strikeout rate of the opposing pitcher? How much contact does the opposing pitcher yield? How much hard hit does the opposing pitcher yield? What kind of a barrel rate does he yield? What kind of a, a um, average exit velocity does he yield? That's going to inform you a lot about how much contact is available. And then you look at what is the contact profile of those hitters. So if I can get a blend of a pitcher who only allows like a 14 or only generates a 14% strikeout rate, yields over 40% hard hit rate, and a hitter who's got a teens, an 11, 12, 13, 14% barrel rate, 50-ish percent hard hit rate and hits home runs, you know, a nice average launch angle, which is part of barrel rate. Um, now we're off and running for some home run potential. Now we're off and running for some doubles for some run creation potential. Um, so a lot of that is encapsulated in individual stats like ISO, like weighted runs created plus WRC plus. I refer to those quite a bit um, uh, throughout shows. On the pitching side of things, I definitely love strikeout rate. I like to look at XFIP. Um, XFIP to me is a lot more important than earned run average or even expected ERA, just because ERA is a flawed stat, the way that they uh, create it, the way that they count runs charged, where XFIP or FIP tell you only specifically things about things that are directly in the pitcher's control. Um, you know, strikeouts, home runs, um, or home runs are taken out of XFIP, I think, if I remember correctly. I, I always have to double check how these stats uh, are exactly constructed, but it tells you the underlying quality of the pitcher rather than the stupid baseball stat of it. Um, there's a, still a lot of subjectivity in how baseball stats are, uh, are accumulated. So those are a couple of the things. Swinging strike rates, uh, CSW percentage for pitchers. Um, there's a lot that goes into it. We could, we could keep on going with some of these, but those, those are at least a few and uh, a window into how I like to think about them in conjunction with one another. Yep. And you use these to inform your model, essentially, like these, yes. these go into the Terry's projections. Um, you're not, you know, using them individually necessarily to make decisions, but they're because they're informing your model. Yep. A lot of what I just talked about in terms of the, uh, the home, the barrel rates, the hard hit percentages and, uh, and so on and so forth uh, is what informs my, uh, my home run model. Um, nice. And uh, so, and that is a part of uh, what informs the fan the fantasy point projection. And uh, yep, that's uh, that's definitely how it comes together. Nice. Okay. Well, we have uh, just a few more minutes, but I do like to close this show talking about big wins. Uh, can you tell me about your favorite DFS or or sports betting poker, whatever you, whatever you want to talk about? I guess favorite uh, win or win celebrated. If there, if there's a couple <laughs> that are up there, you can talk about multiple too. Um, let's see. One of my favorite first. Um, big wins was a baseball win. Um, first one, first time I won like a, wow, that's a lot of money. Kind of a number. Um, I think it was a $30,000 win. Um, and it was a game, it was in baseball and it was a game where I had uh, stacked Yankees in a Yankees versus Red Sox game that I was attending, uh, with my uncle who did not know that I was playing FanDuel. <laughs> so uh, the Yanks went off, hit multiple home runs. I think Gary Sanchez had a two home run game. If I remember correctly, Forget what else was in the lineup. 
Joe Ross was the pitcher. Uh, okay. If you remember Joe Ross from, uh, he was on the nationals at the time, low end cheapo pitcher, value pitcher, forget who the other stack was, but it was a, I think it was a four, four, might've been a four, three, um, but just kept on hitting. And I'm watching this Yankees game and I'm at this Yankees game and I'm checking my phone and I'm like, and like they, they were none the wiser the entire time. We were having beers and I was just like, for, I don't know why I didn't want to share it. It's weird that I didn't want to just be like, hey, look, I'm winning a bunch of money. But like, I, I don't know. I'm, when it's not over yet, not, I get it. You don't want to jinx it. Is that it? Well, that's that's true for sure. That's that's I never do like to, uh, you know, talk about a win before the win has happened. Um, but yeah, I, I've always just been like we we're talking before the show. Like, I don't tweet screenshots really. Um you know, my, my family, my parents never really knew about many of my uh, big wins until more recent times when it's been more sustained success. And just was obvious, like, why do they have you on these shows? Oh, because you, you've won money doing this. Right. Oh, wow. Okay. I guess, I guess we're okay with you doing it. Um, so yeah, I just been weird about talking about it, but yeah, that was a really fun one to be at the game and have, have the Yankee stack really connect for me. Um, that's probably my favorite, like individual story. And, and, so wait, did you eventually share then? I mean, you're hanging out with your uncle no. once it was final. Did you, you never shared the rest of that night. So you didn't, nope. didn't celebrate with anybody. It was just a, a nope. Terry silent celebration. Just, yeah. Just was happy for myself and uh, had a few more beers and finished the game and went on home. Nice. Which, yeah, I'm bad at celebrating wins. I, I gotta be honest. I don't make big purchases. I don't really, uh, you know, throw lavish parties with, uh, with beautiful women or anything like that. It's <laughs> kind of here in my, my office and, yeah. Take the dog for a walk or something like that and uh, more money in the bankroll. Yeah, that's right. Well, I mean, and it sounded like you had another that you were you were going to say maybe throw in there as well, or, or was I misreading that? I thought maybe you were leading um, into another that was competitive there. A few, a few flash through the old, through the old brain, but uh, that's probably the best one story-wise. There was one, uh, one of my, was it a basketball win at the beginning of this season? I think it was a basketball win at the beginning of this season. It might've been that big football win, um, but it came <laughs> I was, have you ever seen the movie, the witch? It's like 2015 horror movie. Don't think so. Okay. There are these creepy children who sing a song um, in it and then laugh, uh, have this creepy child laugh. And that scene, for some reason, like, I think it popped up on YouTube, something like that. There was something where like, I watched that scene just as the game finished. And I jumped from like not winning much money to winning the entire tournament. And it got into my brain that like, you know, that, helped me do that so <laughs> then i played nice. this creepy child laughing thing where they're singing this sing-song thing about the devil um several times late in tournaments trying to you know conjure that to to victory again not that i actually believe in all that so stuff, you're a satan I worshiper is, what i think is what fun. i'm hearing is, so is yeah we're, getting, we're dabbling in satan worship and uh and uh lighting black candles and uh securing all these victories as well of course got, gotta do what you gotta do <laughs> yeah look yeah sometimes we smoke a little pot at night and we get creative with uh what we think about these things but <laughs> uh right. yeah no didn't actually believe any of that stuff but i did uh, amuse myself by doing that uh, a couple different times so i thought that's that was funny. funny and then uh one of my most it's funny how DFS works, right? One of my most heartbreaking nights um, was a night where I still, I think I won 20 grand or 25. Um, but it was one of my best bad beat stories from DFS was I was like a quarter point behind the leader who had nobody else going. And I had LeBron James and he had gone on and scored like 52 points that night. And we're ticking down, we're ticking down. And, I, you know, seconds left in the game, LeBron gets an outlet pass and he's all alone. He's streaking down the court wide open. Best player in the history of the NBA, arguably blows the layup. No way. Bunny layup. 
would have won me 50 grand instead of like 20, 25. So it's difficult to be like, wow, bad luck story. You know, yeah. when you win that much money and take second place, but yeah, best player in NBA history, all he needed to do was sink a bunny layup uh, on a breakaway and banked it off the, off the backboard and off the side rim for whatever reason. So that is a lot brutal. of, a lot of fun ones like that too. Yeah. I mean, I've had, I've had plenty of those in, in my history as well. Those just, yep. Oh my God, why did that just happen? But uh, <laughs> we, we could talk about those off air, I guess uh, the, the rest of them, but yeah, that's a, uh, that's a brutal beat. Uh, well, okay, Terry, uh, we, we've come to the end of the show. Remind me, remind people once again, where can they find you? And, and again, thank, thank you very much for coming on as a guest. Really love talking with you. Uh, but yeah, tell people where they can find you. Oh, buddy, it's been a blast. My pleasure. And uh, thank you for having me. And, uh, you know, apologies for not being able available for you those other 34 times that you came knocking. I know, uh, <laughs> I know you guys wanted me uh, desperately on this show. <laughs> um, they can find me uh, at digitalb 21 is my main Twitter handle. Uh, anything else in the world content wise that you're looking for from me, you can find from there retweeted and, uh, and liked and so on and so forth every single day. And you can always find me around the stochastic discord, the stochastic channel, so on and so forth. I'm here to stay. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you very much, Terry, once again, for joining me on High Stakes episode 35. Thank you to Mike Lawrence for producing as always. Again, you can find Terry on Twitter at DigitalB21. You can find Mike Lawrence on Twitter at AwesomeYo. Uh, and you can find episode 36 of High Stakes two weeks from this Friday. From when this episode comes up, we should have episode 36 will be available on the Stochastic YouTube or wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for watching. Enjoy your weekend. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Some people don't think horses and people communicate. We call those people not horse people. Not horse people don't know you and your horse share a unique bond or that your horse knows you know they like your dogs. But not so much the barking. At Sentinel Horse Nutrition, we don't knock not horse people. We're too busy focusing on horse people's horses. With extruded nugget feeds for exceptional nutrition and formulas for every need, our wide choice of feeds makes it easy to find the fit for your horse's health. Find theirs at feedsentinel.com.